May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. We have to get everyone to understand and support us and know that this is very valid and real experience and real symptoms. Giving talks and utilizing um, social media platforms to connect people and educate and support. Welcome to the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast, where my goal is to give real answers and real solutions to real pain, fatigue, and brain fog. Who am I and what authority do I have to give a podcast on fibromyalgia? Well, I've been a physician for over 25 years. I'm a pediatrician, an internist, which is a medical doctor for adults, as well as certified in lifestyle medicine and clinical lipidology. I hope to weave the best of medical management with the best of lifestyle and use an evidence-based approach to give information in a digestible delivery, both through the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain, as well as through this podcast. Remember, that this podcast is meant for educational purposes only and should not replace an office visit with your physician or medical provider. I hope that this will be a supplement to your office visits as well as to what's covered in the book. This podcast is meant for you if you have fibromyalgia, if you have a loved one who has fibromyalgia, or if you are a physician or healthcare provider who wants to learn more about how to take excellent care of your patients with fibromyalgia. My hope is to help you as you go on the bold journey from not just surviving fibromyalgia, but reducing the suffering and even reversing fibromyalgia. You can show your support for the podcast by leaving a review and sharing with others and hitting the follow or subscribe button wherever you're listening to podcasts. And now, on to this week's episode. Fibromyalgia and related issues often run in families. However, Crystal was unaware of this, and she was also unaware of how extensive it was in many of her relatives. It, so it actually runs on, on both sides of my family and really extensively on my mother's side. And it wasn't until I, you know, you know, I'll just go back, like, why was I advocating so hard? And then, and then go and come out, I guess, publicly, uh, start advocating and promoting awareness because my thought process was, is I had all these skill sets. I knew how to navigate the system. I worked with licensed medical providers, if I'm 
coming across these barriers than people and it really difficult barriers to overcome without becoming angry and losing it and it, it compounding your emotional well-being, the frustrations and, and, and the dead ends. Basically, if I'm experiencing this, other people with this condition are as well. So I got to share my knowledge, teach how to advocate for yourself and patient rights and all that stuff. And the funny thing was, is that until I basically started um, coming out in a like bigger space to start advocating and promoting awareness, I didn't know my I have family members that have fibromyalgia. Crystal shares what it took for her family to open up. And it wasn't until... Uh, they really started to see that I was like serious about this and helping people. And they could see like I was giving talks and utilizing um, social media platforms to connect people and educate and support. Then they all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, your cousin has this on your mom's side. Your other cousin has it. Who's a male who has it? Your aunt has it. Your, you have it. Your great, your great aunt has it. And I'm like, well, y'all could have just told me like years ago and saved me a lot of time and money, but that's okay. So many people with an invisible medical condition, not just fibromyalgia, but many others, until they get the diagnosis or there's more understanding around a medical condition like fibromyalgia that they are invalidated a lot, whether they're talking about it to their significant other, their kids, their parents, their medical providers. And so they just stopped talking about it because of how they were made to feel. And so, and plus some of these relatives are older. So there's some of that older, like generational thinking, you just don't talk about things. So that was part of it. And then in 2017, I found out on my biological father's side of the family, my cousin had fibromyalgia. So I was like, well, that's interesting. And, and, you know, you're looking, I'm looking at this 2015, 2017, this whole like family reveal, everybody has fibromyalgia. I was like, wow, it would have been great to know this many years ago. It is what it is. Do you think because of your advocacy and talking publicly about it, they felt that you now were a trusted person that would not look at them in a negative way when they shared that they had fibromyalgia, that maybe there was some of that I don't want to talk about it. I don't talk about it with a lot of people. I'm not going to talk about it at Christmas gatherings or Thanksgiving get-togethers because I'm kind of embarrassed. I could trust and share that with you. They, they weren't hiding, but they, they trusted you and they wanted you to know. I will say, and this is kind of like uh, the fibromyalgia community is a bit fickle. So sometimes when you first start talking about it more openly and publicly, there there could be some pushback. But then... Over time, it's kind of like a light bulb goes off and it's like, oh, it clicks. And then it's like, yeah, our voice matters. We need to come together and we need to work more collectively and share our stories. A lot of the family members, some of them live out of state. So, I mean, those conversations weren't having sure. happening like face to face. And of course, at other times, like you said, family functions or holidays. But yeah, I do know that I will say at first, especially family members or or family friends who didn't understand. They're like, oh, she talks about it all the time. Like on social media, I'm like, I'm not talking, I'm advocating and promoting awareness. And that's part of the reason because you don't understand. And once we start getting people to believe us, we can change the narrative to address systemic issues. But in order to get there, we have to get everyone to understand and support us and know that this is very valid and real experience and real symptoms. Just because you can't see it, like I said, 
just because you can't see the wind doesn't mean you can't feel it. So, yeah, I, I, I feel that there was that, oh, she's, yeah, she's serious. Oh, she's going to talk about this. Oh, she's emoting change. She's bringing people together. And then they started following me on social media. <laughs> <laughs> it's like really cute to see like my great aunt following me. And I'm just like, oh, she's so cute. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah. And I'm guessing that's for other people who have reached out to you to just share who have fibromyalgia connecting that may not know you, but you're talking and the neat thing about podcasts uh, and whether YouTube or other places that it's like you're a friend to somebody who is also mm-hmm. has fibromyalgia, even though they never may meet you, but now they have somebody who they know that is understanding. Maybe they can share that with a friend and say, Hey, this is another person I know who has this and with the web, there's a way to connect with people who are struggling. That's part of with podcasts. There's people listening all over the world to this podcast and to your videos, I'm sure too, and trying to reach as many people possible. So they don't feel that they're alone, but that their others are going through this with them. You kind of touched on this and it may be obvious, but what inspired you to want to get into advocacy for fibromyalgia and what keeps you inspired? You know, I, some people say it's like a calling. I've been an advocate, like in so many different facets and worlds, like my whole life. So it's kind of like, you know, like your passion and you, you know, and wanting to make a positive, effective changes. So, you know, to backtrack, it's kind of like a started wearing this advocacy hat as a kid because I did have a sibling that was sick. He had leukemia and then he later developed cardiomyopathy. But even when I was in high school, I would volunteer for programs that, and this is the 90s. So this talk about groundbreaking and being inclusive. There was these summer programs where that did not have any medical conditions or, or physical or intellectual disabilities in the same program with kids that had physical, medical, or intellectual disabilities. I used to volunteer for that over the summers. Um, You know, like going to the park or going to the pool. I feel that we spend so much time forgetting the human connection and then that breaks down us as human beings really needing to work as a like a beloved community to quote Martin Luther King you know it's kind of like we're in this together and and take away the 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 name of the medical condition or the name or label of certain life certain circumstances not all but some and when you look at all the layers you see so many similarities or like the golden thread of connection and I've always been able to see that my whole life. So I, it just seems like it was natural. You know, I was doing it personally, volunteering professionally. So to parlay into advocacy for fibromyalgia was just, it was just a natural thing for me to do. It just made sense. It was like, this is an issue. It needs to be addressed. I'm going to address it. You know, that's just kind of mm-hmm. how I am. So there was no major like thought process. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to advocate for this community. It was this is the next issue that I see on my radar and I have it. So one of the things I've learned in taking care of a lot of patients over the years is, and what may be in a first impression is by the time they're in a pretty high level that they are very sedentary, relatively speaking, and that the doctor may be really surprised that, you know, earlier in her life, she was actually really active. 
She might've been in dance, in sports, might've been just a patient of mine taking care of horses after school for four or five hours. And on the weekend, just in some way was very physically active. In the past, when you were younger, somebody who was just naturally just active. Oh yeah, I was, I'm always, <laughs> yeah. I mean, even when, you know, and, and for your listeners, you know, I don't want to like misrepresent. I am diagnosed with severe treatment resistant fibromyalgia and I'm allergic to the typical medications they would prescribe, which are the anticonvulsants like Lyrica and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and the typical antidepressants that they prescribe for fibromyalgia, such as Cymbalta and Civella. So I'm kind of left here. And that's why it's like, you know, what would you do if you couldn't take these medications? Like me, you're allergic and, and you really have to end up being creative. And so, yeah, I mean, I was very active. I mean, I was in the military, but even before the military, I was, I kickbacks for years and I used to work out. I used to lift weights. I mean, and I would lift weights with my male friends at the gym, you know, and keep up with them. I ran around as a kid. I played sports. I ran track. So I was very, very active. And even even now, like despite like how disabling my fibromyalgia can be, but again, I have all these other medical issues and injuries that compound it. I still move. I still engage in physical movement or activity. Is it at the level of kickboxing or or running track and or doing like a hundred pushups a day? Obviously not. No, but but I, you know, my mindset is, you know, I hurt if I sit, I hurt if I stand, I hurt if I lay down. So yeah, I probably should, you know, I'm gonna go walk. I'm I'm gonna hurt in any situation. So I'm gonna do something though at least feel like I accomplished something, something that's good for my body, but also my emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, you know, and there's days that are better than others. Other thing is understanding that movement. I mean, we have, when you have fibromyalgia or some of these other chronic illnesses, it's like we already have the cards stacked against us. So we have to be really cognizant about like our life choices so we don't compound our health more. Like if I eat unhealthy and I'm eating a lot of fattening, sugary foods, it could trigger the possibility of developing diabetes or hypertension, high cholesterol. I already have enough I'm battling. So I want to be, like I said, cognizant and making smart, informed choices that can have a huge impact overall down the road. And that impact, what I choose to do could be negative or positive. So I try to be smart with my lifestyle because I can't go and run anymore and burn off those calories and fat. I can't go and kickbox. So a lot of modifications in Mm -hmm. life happens and your lifestyle when you have a chronic illness and living in chronic pain. and, and, And that's kind of where, you know, my life is a constant balancing act and making good decisions for the most part. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love me some pizza and brownies and there's just times (laughs) that I got to have it, you know, but for the most part, it's understanding and kind of grieving what I was used to being able to do and who I was and coming to a sense of redefining who I am, recognizing the positive aspects and quality and impact I can still have. Like, no, I can't be in the military anymore. No, I can't, you know, kickbox or compete. I can't work, you know, like I used to, like in the traditional sense of being able to go to work full time. But those are things I did and I don't allow them to define me. Did it help shape your character? 
did they help shape my character? Most definitely. But is that all who I am as a person? No. So you come to redefine who you are as a person when you become ill or sustain a lot of injuries or have a major life shift change in your life. And, and, and that's kind of, I think you might see with a lot of your patients is they're, they're in that process of that life shift and, and, and not wanting, you know, it's like you want to hold on to where the way things were, go back and, and you have to come to that point where we realize it's like, I might not be back to where I was. So I had to figure out how to redefine myself and, and, and learn to um, develop other skills and, and recognize other values that I had that were untapped so that you feel like you're still whole as a human being. Cause it's hard to be whole as a human being when you're laid up in bed in a flare up for two weeks or a month and you, and moving is it's excruciating or, or to having a conversation and not being able to like think of words because you have brain fog, mm-hmm. you know, that really does affect someone's self-esteem and self-efficacy. And, and you have to come to this place of, I guess, peace where you, you accept what it is and, and you, but you don't let it define you and you learn to redefine yourself and, and find these aspects of you where you're still, um, where you feel you have value, not what other people, what they think of you, but what do you think of you? That's two different things. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't worry about what other people think of me. When you talked about how things affect an environment and other things affect you, that's something I've seen with patients and, Somebody may be able to go on a a trip to Africa for some kind of mission trip or something to help out at a clinic. And 24 hours of flying, sitting in an airplane may give minimal problems for somebody unaffected by fibromyalgia. It might feel a little stiff, a little sore, a little jet lag, but nothing terrible, just mild. But that could be extremely challenging for somebody with fibromyalgia. The same situation, going to a Cleveland Browns football party get together with five TVs going. I don't know, you're from that area. So maybe something like that. And, and, and you might with a friend and they think it's really fun. And you're like, okay, this is too much noise, too much stimulation. And, and, And they can't understand it, but it's real. And I think there's so much neat research with looking at functional MRIs that have validated how mm-hmm. the central pain amplification, the alarm system going off at a lower threshold and trying to navigate that, trying to pacing in so many different ways of life, trying to balance getting enough, but not too little. People who are listening have fibromyalgia and now they have another friend that they can talk to. How can they connect with you? Sure. Yeah. I'm, I am on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And I actually, I have two arenas because I'm a military veteran. So I do have veteran voices for fibromyalgia on Facebook and YouTube for our military and veterans and first responders living with fibromyalgia or chronic pain syndrome. And then also on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, you can find me at the Fibromyalgia Pain Chronicles. We will continue this conversation with Crystal next week. Thanks for listening. We will be talking about how you can have the most optimal experience with your physician or healthcare provider. And if you're a physician, 
how you can take the best care of those who have fibromyalgia, starting with a very good understanding of what they are going through.